Welcome to another edition of Tied Together. I'm your host, Katrina Logie, and today we're going to be talking about digital and NGOs and how digital technology is transforming the way the world works, you know, helping navigate poverty and transparency within NGOs and also in collaboration with many companies or, you know, that are helping with NGOs. Today, we're here to talk to Toby Norman, who is the CEO and founder of Simprints. Welcome, Toby. Hi, Katrina. Great to be here. Great to have you, the voice, eh? We've got another voice on the on the show. <laughs> is this your first podcast? I don't think this is my first podcast, but I'm lucky this is the first podcast we're doing together, so I'm looking forward to it. Wonderful, wonderful, Toby. So, you know, Let's talk about Simprints and let's talk about, you know, your story and how you sort of started Simprints. Sure. So I came to this work really accidentally. My background, I was a researcher. I was studying global health at the University of Cambridge. I'd previously been at Harvard before that and sort of developed a, a real passion, a real interest in how are teams and organizations trying to make sure that healthcare, health services and aid really get to the most vulnerable globally. And so I was working in Bangladesh for about four years, trying to study how do these very under-resourced community health worker programs that are trying to reach mums and kids with basic health services, how do they get them there effectively? And what are the bottlenecks? Why do we still have so many people globally who lack access to really basic health services, like, for example, screening for preeclampsia, anemia, the stuff that still kills way too many mums? globally every single year. And so as a researcher, the bottleneck that I kept on running into was patient identification and verification. You know, it wasn't a, a sexy or even an intuitive bottleneck, but so many of the health workers who I was shadowing in these, you know, urban slums and rural communities in Bangladesh, they'd have a woman in front of them and that woman would have no formal ID. So they wouldn't have like a driver's license or a social security number or a national ID number. They'd have a name that overlapped with many other people in their community, could be spelled in slightly different ways. They might not know their exact date of birth. They could say, I was born two years after the hurricane or I was born a year before the Civil War. And what it meant is that when they were trying to reach these moms with really basic services, you know, like maternal health care screenings or even vaccinations, we were losing a huge amount of women and kids from the program. And we couldn't see why, because we couldn't uniquely and consistently identify which moms and kids were part of the program. You know, we'd see huge dropout rates and we're not sure, do we have just too many duplicate data? Do we have people who have actually dropped out? We've lost them completely. Is there potential fraud in the system? And I distinctly remember sort of one day sitting in this, you know, this clinic in Bangladesh, sweat dripping down my back in the heat. It was, it was a hot time of year just before, just before the monsoon season kicked off. And copying over these patient records and just thinking, we've lost way too many. This data doesn't make any sense. And so that's what brought me to Simprints, a challenge that I never fancied myself to be an entrepreneur or to work in the technology space. But I was grappling with this problem. That's really what brought me here. Amazing. So you were seeing what, what the challenges were on the ground, basically, and how you could help them with technology related to Many of the things that you know are, are needed, you know, especially data. <laughs> it's a bit like the health service, you know, in general. I mean, 
it's all about collecting data online now, rather than pieces of paper. So tell us about Simprint's story, you know, and, and just, you know, the sort of mission behind it. Yeah, so exactly what you're saying. We thought there must be a solution to this challenge. And what we were seeing at the same time, it's a global technology trend, of course, the shift in mobile that's been going on for 15 plus years at this point. But it was quite an exciting opportunity we saw, particularly as it started to hit the NGO and global health and humanitarian aid sectors. You know, just at that time when I was a researcher, we were seeing these really large healthcare programs that are trying to deliver vaccines or maternal health care. We started seeing them digitize and particularly digitize onto mobile devices. And, and that was exciting for a couple of reasons for us, because it, it meant previously, if you've you know, ever worked in these contexts, it was all done on paper. <laughs> still, sometimes when I go to the NHS, the UK, the amount of paper record still shocks me. But in this context, it was all on paper. You know, you would collect, for example, a patient's their name, their date of birth, all of this information. And then it would take literally weeks or months for that data to actually get to a point in the chain where it gets digitized. And then people can make decisions from the head office based on that data. With mobile, we suddenly had these frontline community health workers in Bangladesh who have low cost Android smartphones in their hands. And now everyone suddenly has processing power, literally in the palm of their hands, which meant not only could we do data entry digital from the get-go, we could share that information real-time to the head office. So if there was an emerging epidemic or an outbreak, we could actually track that much, much faster, respond much, much faster. And that was the opportunity that we were seeing, but digital didn't solve the question of patient ID. And so that's where Simprints came into this. We thought, well, what if we could use unique identifiers like biometrics. So by biometrics, we mean something like a fingerprint or we mean a face. There's a, there's a whole bunch of biometrics out there. But what if we could take a child's fingerprint, digitally link that to a vaccine record, even if they don't have any other kind of ID, any birth certificate, anything like that, and then allow that to be that consistent link to their vaccine record so you know which vaccines have they had, which vaccines do they need? And that's what Simprints has really been doing for the past seven years now, is working with global health and humanitarian organizations all over the world, in about 17 different countries, serving about 2.1 million patients at this point, linking them to healthcare or humanitarian aid, using that biometric as a way to both make sure the right person gets the right intervention at the right time, but also really verify that aid dollars and global health dollars get into where they're supposed to go and making more efficient, more effective, more transparent supply chains. That's what we've been working on. Okay. Well, let's talk about biometrics. And you've been working on this for seven years. Tell us about, you know, how biometrics works and, and perhaps a little bit about what's behind biometrics in terms of, you know, building it. Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, we're using biometrics everywhere. Most of us unlock our phone without fingerprints or our face. Increasingly, as we go through airports, we're getting through security or even locking on to flights using our biometrics. So I think this is a, a technology that as we try and build that interface between the physical world and the digital world, uh, this is a technology whose uptake is, is increasing globally. And I, I want to come back to privacy and security in a minute because I think that's a really important part of getting that interface right. But just to spend a minute or two on, on biometrics. So biometrics can be physiological or even behavioral features that we use typically to identify or, or verify who someone is. So the ones we're probably the most familiar would be something like a fingerprint. You know, you unlock your phone with your fingerprint. It says, this is me, let me in. And it could be something like a face. 
there's a whole bunch, you know, from sort of emerging and exciting technologies like Palm or Palm Vein biometrics to the weird and wonderful. You can use the shape of your ear as a biometric. I even heard there was a car company that was working on butt biometrics. So you could sit in the seat of your car and start your, your car with your unique bum profile. Not an area we work in, but it's a anything could be a biometric. And that's totally serious. <laughs> Literally anything could be a biometric. Even the way you walk is unique. Wow. What I think is really interesting for us as a, as a team, as we think about how it impacts digital, is that you have these, uh, these emerging technologies that almost become the keys to that interface between the digital and, and the physical. And if you can use that key effectively, you can unlock a whole bunch of really exciting stuff that we want to see in a more transparent and more effective global health and humanitarian sector. Okay. So, yeah, I mean, you talked a little bit about sort of what you're doing in terms of helping with impact and how biometrics is is helping with that. What sort of issues are you solving, you know, with biometrics? Yeah, let me give a, a couple of examples. Let's start with vaccines. So globally today, you know, we're in the midst of the biggest ever vaccine campaign with, with COVID vaccines. And still with COVID, but also with routine immunizations, vaccines are one of the miracle tools in the public health arsenal and the public health toolkit. You know, they're one of the most effective ways to prevent disease, to keep people safe. And particularly, you know, with children, it's one of the things that's driven this revolution in the past 50 years of, of child survival. When you look at child mortality rates globally, vaccines are one of the big reasons that those rates are you know, the lowest they've, they've ever been in human history. So that, that's really exciting. The downside is that still for way too many kids in the world, it's estimated around one in five, they're not receiving the vaccines they need to keep them safe. And this is a hard problem to solve because you'll look at sort of many countries' official vaccine estimates, their vaccine data. Take Bangladesh, the official coverage estimates around 99% of children are getting vaccinated. But then when you look really deeply in some of the studies, if you look at some of the published research that's out there, we see in some cases up to 54% of kids aren't getting timely vaccinations. So there's a big mismatch there. How is it that we think a lot of kids are getting vaccinated, but in reality, a whole bunch are getting missed? One of the things that's so hard to solve with it comes back to that question of unique identity, right? Unique patient identity. If a child doesn't have a birth certificate, they don't have a consistent, unique, credible digital record. If they don't have something that's tying them to that vaccine record, it's really hard when we're trying to figure out where has the supply chain broken down? You know, where have we failed to vaccinate children? really hard to know what's what's the real numbers to begin with. And so Simprints for the past three plus years now has been working with Gavi. So that's the Global Vaccine Alliance. It's about a $10 billion facility that actually pools funding from many countries to procure vaccines for them, the largest purchaser of vaccines globally. And then it distributes those vaccines largely to low and middle income countries in sub-Saharan Africa and South Asia. And its goal is to make sure those vaccines get to the children, you know, at the end of that supply chain. They've been wrestling with this issue for years. And so we've been working with them on a three-year project to see, could we use biometrics? Could we use a child's fingerprint as a way to uniquely link them to a vaccine record? So you can tell, you know, every vial of vaccine that gets shipped to a, a warehouse in Nairobi or someplace else in the world, does that actually reach a real child at the end of the day? And we're just doing a project now in Bangladesh, uh, working with the Ministry of Health there, to actually roll this out into the field, which is really exciting for our team because we've been working on this one for three years. If we do this well, and if we do this right, this could change the way that we map vaccine coverage globally. 
And that's what we're trying to do. Those are the types of teams that we're trying to support with this type of technology. Mm-hmm. Okay. And who are your, I mean, who are you working with, apart from Bangladesh and obviously, you know, World Health Organizations, who else are you working with to um, support, you know, the social impact? Yeah, so we're open to working with anyone who's trying to do social impact. I would say our specialty as an organization would be specialized in global health, humanitarian aid, and development partners. Typically, that's one of two buckets. We're, we're either working with governments, for example, ministries of health, we're trying to do vaccine campaigns or frontline healthcare delivery, or we're working with NGOs. And so these could be sort of big NGOs, for example, who worked with Mercy Corps, or even UN agencies, for example, like the World Food Program, we've recently worked with on a project. So those would be the kinds of partners that we're typically working with. And all of them are trying to do, whether it's health, whether it's education, whether it's nutrition, whatever it is, they're all trying to do the same thing at the end of the day, which is making sure that goods and services get into the real people and get into the right people uh, at the last mile. That's that's the type of place that we're trying to plug in and we're trying to play in this space. Okay. So with technology, you know, obviously it's speeding things up in terms of, you know, recording data and, you know, using tools like uh, biometrics. How are we sort of, you know, progressing today compared to, let's say, 10 years ago in helping with uh, NGOs? So I would say some things are going really well, some things not going so well. Start with things that are going well. I think the trend to digitization and mobile is real and uncontestable at, at this point. There are increasingly fewer partners we work with, large NGOs, UN agencies, or ministries of health, who aren't trying to digitize across their entire chain. And, and that's really exciting because I, I think there's a whole bunch of benefits to digital, and we need to come back to some of the risks in a second. But really, that's exciting. You know, When I started my career as a researcher, I remember doing a mapping exercise. How long did it take for a piece of information that a health worker collected from a patient at the front lines in Bangladesh for it to reach head office? And it was two to three months, right? Imagine we have an outbreak of yellow fever or dengue or, and we talk about talking about epidemics, COVID, responding to whatever is the latest epidemic. If it takes three months for us to even be aware that this is happening, that's way too long. So I think digital is one of those trends that has really accelerated that time. We can see what's happening at the front lines. That's a positive. Where I still think we are behind, there's a a whole bunch of areas. I think one is we get to grips with all this new digital technology. The frameworks around privacy, security, and interoperability, I I still think are behind, particularly as an NGO sector and folks are working in social impact, catching up, but it's still too slow. You know, we need to push those standards faster and more effectively if we're going to keep all of this personal data safe. I don't know if you saw, for example, recently, the um, International Red Cross had a huge data breach where hackers, and this is, I think, one of the best teams operating in this space, but likely state-sponsored hackers targeted one of their databases that was trying to, was built to reunite refugees with family members. And about 500,000 records of, you know, refugees, internally displaced people and other vulnerable populations was exposed. And that's a huge challenge when you get to the point now where this data sets are getting large enough, they start becoming a target. We need to be really thoughtful and really on it at the way we respond to keep all of this data safe. Even if it's for a social impact mission, if we're not careful, it can be misused. And so I think that's one of the places the sector needs to catch up and catch up fast. Okay, so security is a big, big thing. 
How do you manage that? I mean, how do you manage, you know, keeping data secure? Yeah, there's a couple of things I think are just fundamental. First, before we even talk tech, we'll talk about privacy. We want to reduce as much as possible how much data we need to collect in the first place. You know, I want to give an example. We were working with some wonderful researchers from the uh, UNC Chapel Hill and Brown University who are trying to do HIV tracing in Malawi. So they're trying to link women to HIV care, and they had a big challenge with patient identity, but they also had a challenge with stigma. HIV is still a highly stigmatized disease. A lot of people aren't comfortable coming forward seeking treatment or seeking testing because they're worried about the stigma of this. And so what we're able to do designing with this team is let's minimize the data we need to collect in the first place, the digital data, so we collect as little as possible. And what we literally did is we were able to take a fingerprint and no other information, no name, no photo, none of the demographic data that people didn't feel comfortable sharing and saying, hi, my name's Toby, I'm, I'm here to get HIV testing. We just took that fingerprint as a way to say, okay, now we've got your unique record. You don't need to tell us anything else about who you are. And we're going to anonymously link that to HIV care. So if we, before we even think about security, let's think about privacy. How do we minimize the data first? How do we get really clear, informed consent? And if we design with that privacy by design mindset to begin with, I think we can take away a lot of the problems before we even get to the technical challenges. Then you've got to get the security right. This is not rocket science, but this is something that needs to be done consistently. Typically with NGOs, the challenge we face is that they're just under-resourced. Not that they don't want to. It's not that they don't have the capability. It's that they don't have the, the all the crises that they're firefighting. This just hasn't enough yet become a priority. And I think that's changing, but it needs to change faster. Final thing, and, and this is where I do think frameworks, for example, like GDPR, have done a good job and have actually moved the sector forward, is thinking about portability. You know, once we've collected this data, is it genuinely portable? Is it something that I can write to an organization and say, hey, I want you to delete my data from this database or give it back to me so I can bring it to a different provider? And way too often in sort of the early efforts of digital and NGOs, did we find these situations where partners, say, Save the Children or Mercy Corps, are getting locked into technical vendors and they couldn't move their data to other vendors or they couldn't add or their their beneficiaries, the people that are trying to serve, couldn't write and get their data back and return to them so they could move it to a different provider. It's improving, but we've got a lot to do in the standard space. It's not unique to the NGO sector, but I think a healthy ecosystem globally, and definitely one that's trying to serve the poorest of the poor, really needs to get those three things right. Privacy, security, interoperability is key. Okay. And I mean, in terms of, I mean, apart from, you know, privacy, security, and, and you know, are there any other challenges that you're, you're finding with, you, with using technology? Oh, so many, so many. I don't think any real entrepreneur will, will tell you otherwise. There's, there's millions. Some of the things I see still as challenges that we've got to crack in this space is technology is Obviously not a silver bullet, but also too many people I don't think view it really fundamentally as the, the tool that it is. And who is ever holding that tool is going to determine so much about how effective it is. You know, let me give a concrete example. We're working with this fantastic team in Ethiopia. What they're trying to do is they're trying to fight these neglected tropical diseases, the, these terrible parasites that make a lot of kids and, and, and adults really sick. And with a really cheap, you know, less than 20 cent pill, 
uh, deworming pill. You can really change change someone's life with this stuff. And they're working with us to make sure that the right patients are getting these pills at the right time. And where we need to do another round of this administration of these drugs, we're seeing the same patients again. We're not losing people. They're, they're not falling through the cracks. The success of this program is so much about not the tool, this technology tool, you've got a mobile phone, you're collecting a biometric like a fingerprint. So much of the success is, what are we doing with this data? Is there someone sitting at the Ministry of Health or with the NGOs that we work with, we're able to view this data and say, ah, okay, this tells me what I need. This district, things are going great. This district, we need more frontline workers. Their workload is too high. In this district, we've got a supply chain issue. No, no kids have been reached with these pills. And this district, things are okay, but I'm seeing a few concerns coming up. It's responding to that data where the real magic happens. It's so much the, the technology itself is just a tool. I think where we're going to succeed in this is when we have the right tools prepared with the right capacity building. That's to me exciting. When I see it work in programs, it's like magic. You see people suddenly empowered with these much, much more powerful tools and levers to do good stuff. But just putting the tool out itself is never going to make a difference. Okay. And then obviously you're working with training as well with these global training as part of the um, providing resources to, to people in the field. Absolutely critical. Like I said, you don't get that capacity without the right training, the right support. So a lot of our work, you know, people see us and they see a technology company. I think folks underestimate the amount of time and effort we put into the services, into the training, the training models, the training of trainers, the support around data and analytics. It's really it's when those things come together that we actually get impact in frontline programs. And that's what we should be aiming for. So if there's sort of a, a takeaway, a punchline message Folks who are excited about this space get excited about the tools. It's, it is really exciting, and the innovation is incredible that's happening right now. But don't kid yourself that the tool is the whole job. So much of it, in fact, I think the real magic of it is when that's paired with the right level of capability in an organization. And good teams and good entrepreneurs should be thinking about that whole value chain. How are we going to make sure the capacity is there to use this technology well? Okay, so they they need to understand it, understand how the, how to use it. You know, in terms of you know technology saving time, how is it kind of you know helping with um, with with people on the front line? Yeah, so really key. Just to give a couple examples, when I was a researcher, and literally sometimes it would take me three to four minutes to to find a patient record, scrolling through these long lists. Sometimes it's papers. But I'm sort of scrolling through, even where you move your phone, scrolling through, it take me three to four minutes. You know, we've had teams in Nepal that have walked health workers and filmed them as they, for five minutes, scroll through a patient list, trying to find the right patient. So with something like a, a fingerprint, you can do that in under 45 seconds. That saves, saves time immediately, which uh, is obviously very valuable, particularly when you're responding to something like a humanitarian crisis. Beyond just that, immediate convenience factor. And I don't want to state that, that, that's super important. Where the greatest time savings happen is that if you can identify data that is not good quality and needs to be you know, fixed immediately, or potentially if you've got issues in a program, the amount of time and budget you can save by seeing that in real time is, is incredible. You know What I, I think the world could look like one day is just like if you order, for example, Globo here in Barcelona or the Liveroo or someplace else, you can see in real time, you know, what is the good, 
where is it? Has it reached the person it's supposed to at the right point in time? And respond really quickly if something's broken. You know, it sounds silly, but actually, why can't we do that with something like a dose of vaccine reaching a child or a bed net to protect someone from malaria getting to the right place at the right point in time? There's no technical reason that's not that's not possible. And that, I think, is for us the really exciting future investment, that, that real-time precision data about who we've reached and who we've missed so that the dollars we spend trying to make the world a better place are actually getting to where they're supposed to go. Mm-hmm. Okay. And in terms of, you know, obviously uh, helping with efficiency, you're also helping with transparency too. Absolutely key. You know, we've worked with some teams and some programs where uh, I've, I've seen projects before I joined Simprints, over 44% of the data records were rubbish, were meaningless. And so if, for example, you're giving to a charity, well, let's imagine you're putting a dollar towards you know, a well-known and well-respected charity or well-respected NGO you would understandably not be happy to learn that, you know, 44 cents out of that dollar haven't actually been effective or reached anyone. You'd be very unhappy to hear that, as you should be, as anyone would be. And as all the good NGOs and good charities care about, they don't want to see that happen. So one of the really big benefits, if we do digitization well, and if we can use these new technologies like biometrics to do sort of verified delivery, you can know with a lot more confidence that whatever that is, whether it's a vaccine, whether it's a health visit, whatever that intervention is, get into the right person at the right place at the right time. And we can build much more transparent supply chains as a consequence that give us all confidence. And that, I think, is a really good thing on an individual level. You know, when I give money to NGOs, I want to know that that money is getting spent well. But also, we're all, we're all taxpayers. We contribute our tax and our governments rightly invest in global public health and global international development and global humanitarian response because they want to work in a more stable world. We should all want that. But as taxpayers, we also want transparency and effectiveness in where those those dollars are and where those money is going. So this is part of why I think digital can be so exciting. You know, if done well, is making you know not only a more effective ecosystem, but a more transparent and a more accountable ecosystem as well. Okay. Where is technology being distributed right now through uh, Simprints? Which countries are you really helping and, and which are kind of really undertaking Simprints work? Yeah, so we're lucky to work globally. We've worked in over 17 countries so far. Maybe why don't I just pull out three highlights that I think are really exciting at the moment. So one program we're doing at the moment is with the Ministry of Health in Ghana. That's in West Africa. We're working with them on maternal, child health, specifically uh, MNCH care, so like things like screenings, antenatal care visits, also hopefully moving into routine immunizations. And that's a, that's a really cool program because if we can do this well, supporting the Ministry of Health, we can basically improve the accuracy and efficiency, which Ghana Health Services are serving its citizens with really basic health care. And, and that's a program that we're really excited about. The second one I pull out at the moment is the work we're doing in East Africa, in Ethiopia. We're working with an organization called Orbis and the Ministry of Health there on fighting preventable blindness. There's a terrible disease called trachoma. It's totally preventable. A simple pill and a, a surgery, you can save someone's sight. But still, way, way too many people every year go blind. They lose their sight for good. From a preventable illness. And so we're working with them to make sure that these trachoma pills and trachoma surgeries are actually reaching 
vulnerable people in these contexts. And, and that's something that I'm, I'm very passionate about because it just seems so criminal to me in this day and age. Someone goes blind for no justifiable reason because trachoma surgeries and trachoma pills aren't reaching the right person at the right point in time. So those are probably two examples just to give a, a sense of the kind of projects we do and a sense of where we work. But there's a, there's a whole bunch more and a whole bunch of different areas. Like we came back to <laughs> the fundamental challenge, this, this challenge of identity is the base rails of so many interventions we try and do globally, whether it's education, finance, vaccines, you name it. And apart from biometrics, are you using any other technology that which, you know, how, how does it work sort of, you know, looking behind the scenes of Simprints and related related to technology? Yeah. So if you sort of peel back the technical floorboards, let's imagine if you use, use Gmail or Outlook and you use that technology all the time and you're using it a lot. Imagine us as like the extension that sits in the browser that increases the capability of that tool. And so what Simprints really is, it's a platform, it's a product. We also offer services around that that plugs into almost any program or any intervention that's trying to do good someplace in the world and increases its ability to correctly identify people, verify the right thing is getting at the right place at the right time. And you've got transparent real-time data about who's been reached and who's been missed. And so typically an ecosystem might look something like this. So you'll have a program that's say doing a frontline polio or deworming campaign. You've got health workers using mobile phones going house to house to identify and register patients. That data is going to sync to a central HQ with dashboards and analytics. Simprints is a plugin that's going to allow you to, okay, I can enroll these patients biometrically and verify them biometrically and follow visits. And that data, with that really now verified data, is going to unlock a whole bunch of powerful analytics at HQ level. So if I'm thinking with my public health hat on, I can respond to outbreaks. I can be really confident we've reached these communities, but we've missed these communities. Uh, and so we stick it out. Our team likes to joke that we unfortunately also have to build then across that value chain. We work with hardware. We work with mobile software. We work with cloud or even local server backends. We get to touch so many exciting points of the chain. Not an easy thing to do, but a heck of a lot of fun. Yeah. From, from somebody that, you know, it doesn't really come from technology, but more on the sort of NGO side. You're learning about it. Oh, I've learned more than I ever could have imagined in the past seven, seven plus years. I'm lucky to work, have some great technical co-founders, but that's made a huge difference and we could not do this work without them and some non-technical co-founders uh, as well. But it, it's been a ton of fun, although it's a bit like learning by taking a sip out of a fire hydrant. There's so much. You're lucky if you can just capture a little bit and then the rest, you pray you find really good people who can help you manage the rest. Okay, great. And what trends are we seeing in the future in terms of, you know, biometrics and also, you know, where where you see yourself going with helping, you know, technology, you know, make NGOs more sort of effective and, and around the world? Yeah, so there's two trends I'd pull out. The first is mobile, particularly around artificial intelligence. This is a trend that is happening now. It's becoming for, I think, a, a long time, a couple of years at this point. But I'm starting to see it really start to bite teeth now in frontline programs. But what that means, for example, is that in the future, I think you're going to be able to, a frontline health worker or frontline humanitarian aid worker is going to be able to use their own smartphone in their hand, use the camera on that smartphone to take a photo of, say, someone, someone's hand or palm, 
And then AI algorithms will be able to say, okay, this is this unique person. And we love that type of thing because it's really sort of privacy first biometric. You can do it totally offline. It really cuts down the cost, allows you to deploy so much faster. I, I get very excited when I think about sort of where AI is going, particularly sort of on the edge and on, on the frontline mobile. That, that's a trend that I think is going to do a lot of good in our sector over the next couple of years. Second one I'm also a big fan on is open source. You know, increasingly now we see some open source platforms and tools that have just scaled extraordinarily over the past five to 10 years. And I think it hasn't reached the public consciousness yet. You know, most of us have never heard of DIHS2 or Comcare. But if you look at it by the numbers, there are some digital technologies, some open source mobile technologies, which are serving huge amounts of the world's population that have just crept up over the past 15, 20 years to actually be driving a lot of really important public health work and public health decision making. Just to give an example, when COVID hit, 33 different African countries chose DHS2 as the right fully open source digital tool to track the delivery of COVID vaccines. And that trends me, that trends towards open source. I, as a technologist, but also someone who cares a, a lot about equity and fairness in global health and a lot about equity and fairness in, in social impact, that, that gets me very excited. That's where we're taking Simprints as a team, and I think that's where the future is going to be. Wonderful, wonderful, Toby. So all very exciting for Simprints. I mean, you're, you're working with, with, you know, several organizations globally and, and you know, you sort of look to expand in the future to helping more places and become, you know, more effective and efficient and transparent, actually. And also, you know, helping people work more in collaboration to sort of make, to solve uh, problems. That's the goal. The world is not short of problems. I'd love to get more people coming into this space to work on solving them, but there's tons of interesting and really important problems to solve. And if we can do it right, we can use technology as a lever so that, you know, a relatively small amount of force and a relatively small organization like Simprints can do a lot of good. That's our goal. Wonderful, Toby. Well, thank you very much for joining us today on Tie Together. And it's been a pleasure to learn about technology and um, how it's, you know, making an impact with uh, NGOs around the world and, and uh, also what Simprints is, is doing. So thank you very much for, for being here today. Pleasure is mine. Thanks so much for having me, Katrina. I hope you enjoyed this edition of Tied Together. If you have any comments or you have any feedback for us, you can always email us at tiedtogether at cohesis.co.uk.